And I, I think you've probably been paying attention to this. The news has been covering this from different angles. Um, it depends on which, you know, which place you're getting the news from. It depends on how the angle is. But I, I've been finding it interesting that um, we're starting to see a big talk about uh, COVID again, that uh, it's, it's breaking out all over China. Now, this is, uh, so, some of the media I've seen has said that 20, 25,000 Chinese people a week are dying because of COVID. I, I don't believe anybody's statistics. They were saying that, that a million plus died here in the United States and that about 10% of that was actually true according to the CDC's own numbers. Um, everybody was inflating it and making it different. So I don't know about numbers, but here, here I did see an article that I did. I do agree with what's happening. <clears throat> China tried to infiltrate America with COVID the first time. It was it was a designed uh, sickness. It was a it was a weaponized virus, but it didn't work. It didn't accomplish what they had hoped it would accomplish, which was basically crash our country and our economy. They got close because um, our country capitulated with all of the World Economic Forum stuff, like everybody else did, and we locked our country down, and that did hurt us. But it wasn't the COVID that hurt us. It was the it was the lockdowns by the government. Now, with that, the reason I'm saying all of that is now they're already starting to reinstate airlines, are starting to reinstate some mandatory masks. Um, you have to have proof. If you're coming from China or have been involved in China in the last six months, you have to have proof of vaccine and all this stuff, which is interesting because um, if you have the vaccine, you're over 70% more likely to catch COVID. So now they're saying if you have COVID, we're going to make you get the thing that makes you get it before you can come into our country because we don't want it. Somebody is crazy. But I do believe that China has, uh, did create this to try to infiltrate and try to do this kind of stuff to us. But <clears throat> I think their plan didn't work and a lot of people did not get vaccinated and they're not as susceptible. There will be a lot more people susceptible. And I know that different ones in you here and got vaccinated, but this is just the statistics um, you're more likely to get COVID after the vaccine. So China is going to have a lot more successful uh, run of it this time, but still won't be a big deal. I just don't think it's going to be a big deal. Um, now, I did see a little bit of glimmer of hope in one of these articles about all of this. They did a survey of 18 to 26-year-olds, and um, about 50% of 18 to 26-year-olds got the first vaccine shot. And then they asked some questions, why did you get it? And it was mostly because they were worried about losing their job, um, pr pressure, pressure for job, military, all these different reasons, right? Um, but statistically, that same age group, 18 to 26, have got almost none of that. It's like single percent um, have got any other shots after the first one. I, I find that very encouraging. Now, I don't know. Maybe it's just because that age group is like, I don't care. But I think there's some good I don't care when the government's trying to tell us to do some things. And uh, all of that to say this, there's already been a plan um, being developed by our governor in coordination with Governor Newsom from California to lock California and Colorado down and New Mexico, lock them down again. Um, but this is, what we, this is what you have to do. Just don't. Go with it. Just don't listen to it. You are not obligated to obey an unconstitutional law by a governor. In fact, I've got it on good um, report here that there is a new state representative that is already submitted a bill, and the bill's basically finished now, that is going to try to limit the governor's ability to lock down the state of Colorado. <clears throat> and um, I heard it by rumor that, uh, that this is the way the bill goes. He can only do that for 30 days. After that, it has to go back to the legislature, and it has to be a two-thirds vote by the legislature to continue to keep Colorado locked down, which will make it very, very difficult um, to continue that. So... I'll let you know how that goes out later. But here, let me, let me help you what's going to happen. It, they're going to knock it down as quick as it comes up. If, if we would have voted in a Republican governor, it would have passed. 
But since we didn't, um, and it's still polis, that won't happen. So just letting you know that. All right. Um, <clears throat> one other thing. We are coming up in this spring. We're, we're looking at um, building, to doing the expansion, doing all the stuff. We have done a lot of work. Uh, all the underground stuff has already been taken care of, but we are looking at doing the expansion this spring. Um, so, so, well, starting the process in the spring, we don't know how soon that will start. But the, this is going to be the criteria. It's just the numbers, uh, numbers to, um, to what we have. So, so the way that we're, we're looking at this, the strongest way that we're looking at this is what is coming in monthly for the building fund. And when the, the lending institution looks at this, they will look at two things. How much money, as in a number, is coming in for the building fund every month. And then they will also look at how many different people within our church body is giving to that building fund. Not how much they're giving, but how many people. Because if there's six people in our church that are giving to the building fund, the lending institution says, you're not really bought into this. You don't really believe in this. And so process that, pray about it, consider giving something monthly to the building fund, um, and then that will be in our, our budget. That will help us to develop the budget, and then also the more the better, the more people, um, the better. Uh, even, if, uh, even if husband and wife, you give separately, that's, we're going to fool the bank. So help us do that. All right. <clears throat> so this... Uh, this, um, this is January 1st, in case you didn't know. Uh, this is the New Year's. So here's, here's what's, what's going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, for the next few months, I'm going to be doing some things with this. I'm going to be looking at some stuff. This is, this is kind of a way to say it. It's kind of like the basics, basics of Christianity, but that's not really the way I process that. I don't think there's basics in advance in Christianity. I think there is foundation. You build upon that foundation. That's where maturation comes from, is the layers that you build upon uh, within your Christian walk. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at over the next few months, I'm going to be looking at some of these basics. What are, what are the things that as a Christian we have to have these things in our life? What, what I see is a lot of times when we first become a Christian, we develop a couple of basic foundation principles and disciplines that we work on. And on Wednesday nights we were talking about this more along the lines of disciplines and how we develop disciplines in our life in a Christian walk. But but looking at these foundations, saying these are the things that I've built in my life, but sometimes we don't always build all of them as the foundational, um, uh, uh, the foundation of our Christian walk. And so then what happens is, is when we, it's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like a pyramid that part of it's gone, and so you can't really build up. So when you get up to this part, you, it starts caving over here because the foundation is not on this side, and you have to have the foundation all the way across. And as as Christians, we're pretty good about. Um, allowing the foundation things in our, in our Christian walk to build that we like, but not necessarily the ones that we don't like. And then that makes unstable, and we don't really have a good foundation. We've got some very strong things in our life and some weak areas, and when we crash and burn, it's going to be in the weak areas mentality. And so we need to have a good foundation across the board. So I'm going to be talking about some of this over the next couple months. And, uh, and really looking at what are the things that we, we've got to make sure these are established. And by the way, you have to constantly, Paul even said you have to revisit uh, earlier things. You have to constantly be establishing the, um, the foundation of your Christian walk with the Lord. Why, why do I believe certain things and do I really live my life by that? There's another disconnect in, in uh, Western Christianity that says these are the things I say cognitively I adhere to, but they're not really built into my life, and so the foundation is not actually as stable as it should be. Because it's a, it's a cognitive um, a, a, a connection rather than an actual life foundation. It's not driving us. It's not our principles that drive us. Okay, and so that's, I'm going to kind of unpack that. But I want to start this morning by looking at uh, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Because I think that that's going to affect all, all these things that are coming up with this. But in looking at 2023, these are, these are the three things that I really want us to focus on as a body together for this year is uh, basically the big picture is being who God has created us to be. So the first is being people of faith, true, truly people of faith, and then being people of witness, that, that our witness is lifestyle, it's attitude, and it's also verbal. And then also being a people of purpose. And this is one of the things that I think can escape us in, in, um, 
in our Christian walk on a regular basis is that I'm not here by accident. I'm here because of, of a divine God creating me for divine purpose. I have a reason for being. I'm not just here. Uh, I think we live too much like, well, I'm just here. And then what we do is that translates into all the other areas of our life. So I make my own decisions about me. I do all this other stuff. I get to decide. I, and instead of saying, if I'm here created by God specifically for purpose, then that purpose comes from the God who created me for purpose. And so if the purpose is there by God, then he's got to be the one guiding and directing me in this. It can't just be casual. It can't be, well, I was supernaturally created by God. He breathed his life spirit into me. He's got this design and his plan and everything, but I'm going to do it my way. Those are totally disconnected. Okay? And so to be people of purpose, to really, and I'm going to, I'm going to unpack that quite a bit over the next few weeks. But this morning, I want us to look at <clears throat> listening to the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? How do you listen to the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to look at uh, one story, uh, one little part of Acts, and we're going to unpack all the different ways in just this one chapter in Acts uh, uh, how the Holy Spirit speaks to people. Now, the goal of this, the reason I'm doing this, is so that when we're done with this, that you say two basic things. I know the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me. And then the next question is, God, what does that look like? So we're going to unpack the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks, but it has to start with this. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me. The Lord is trying to speak to me. I, I think we've got to grab onto that deeper than what kind of the church does as a general sense. Has God designed you to hear him? Think about that statement. He did not have to even tell you he was there. He didn't have to design you with what we call, or the way the scripture describes it, is our spirit, which is the way we connect or listen to God or understand there is a God. He didn't have to do all that stuff. He could, he could make you without any desire for divine connection and understanding. But every single human on the planet has an understanding that there is something spiritual and some kind of desire to, to investigate that. That's, that's because God put that within us. So to take that to the next step, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to every one of us. And I, there, there's a few things with this. One, I think he wants to speak to us, all of us. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how close you walk to the Lord or whatever. He wants to speak to all of us more than, he, than we're hearing. Another way to process that, I believe that he is speaking to all of us more than what we're hearing. I think he's regularly speaking to us. Sometimes we call it intuition. Um, uh, sometimes, I, I think even sometimes what we consider to be um, deja vu is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to illuminate in a moment in our existence and say, hey, pay attention here. Um, he wants to speak to us in a lot of different ways, but I really believe that he is speaking to all of us more than we know and that he wants to speak to us or for us to hear him more than we're listening. But it has to start with you saying to yourself, I know the Lord wants to speak to me. Because I, I come across a lot of Christians regularly that really don't believe that. They don't have a problem with, with prophecy. They don't have a problem with um, divine voice in our life or just the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit. But they think that the Lord does that with everybody else, not them. And then you have some kind of the weird extremes that make this even more difficult sometimes for us to think the Holy Spirit speaks to us because you've got those people that every single second of every moment, God is speaking to them. You know, they, they, they buy alphabet cereal and, and a word appears, and it was supernatural from God. <laughs> and the word might have been, but, but it was, that means, you know, that kind of thing. So... So, and then and also what we do when it comes to knowing that God is speaking to us or trying to interact with us is, and this is a vo much, very strongly a Western thing. This is not more uh, different places around the world, but this is very much a Western thing because we are so intelligent, so enlightened, and so uh, reasoned and scientific and everything that we've graduated above the Holy Spirit speaking on a spiritual level. So it has to be connected to something material. In other words, you get a flat tire. Well, this is the devil attacking me or the Lord is speaking to me. And it could just be a nail. <laughs> I know, that's crazy. Because we attach it to things. 
right? But here's what's interesting. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, we never say, oh, the Lord is trying to humble me. <laughs> right? We attach, we attach spirit uh, connection oftentimes to a, a material moment or something that is, that is a uh, physical uh, event Rather than the Holy Spirit speaking into our minds, into our spirits, and all this kind of stuff. Joel chapter 2. After, after the Pentecostal outpouring in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and explains this is what, um, this is what just happened. I had a uh, pastor friend of mine years ago that said, Joel 2 has nothing to do with what was going on in Acts chapter 2. Joel 2 is all about, I mean, all the book of Joel is all about prophecy, and it is. It's all a prophetic book, has to do with end times, has to do with a lot of stuff. So this person said, well, it's a prophetic book, so it has nothing to do with Acts chapter 2, except for the fact that Peter said it did. And I trust Peter more than I trust that guy. When, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament and says, this is what it says, that shows us how to properly translate that scripture in the Old Testament. Okay? So, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Then, after doing all of those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants Men and women alike. Now, a few things I want to address here that are not the direction of the message, but I think are important. One is, <clears throat> the reason that it says old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions, because uh, you cannot dream something that you have not experienced at some particular level. Okay, this is, science has shown us this even. But you can't, ex- you can't dream something that is unknown to you or that you haven't experienced. That's why when you're falling off a cliff in your dream, when you hit the ground, you wake up. Because your brain does not know how to die. It's never died before. Okay? Unless maybe you've died before and came back to life, then maybe you die in your dreams. But you don't know how to die. And some people have said, and I wouldn't totally disagree with this, some people have said that if you actually died in your dream, you may not live outside your dream. Okay? Plus, I've read some really good sci-fi books that kind of go down that road that I like. <clears throat> but you dream what you know. So old men are dreaming dreams. Now, this is important, okay? It doesn't just mean old, dream, old men are dreaming dreams because they ate pizza and they had, you know, a, a psychedelic dream. That's not what I'm talking about. This is specifically saying because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you, You will be dreaming dreams, which means that the dreams that you are dreaming are Holy Spirit-inspired. Now, that doesn't mean every single dream you have is Holy Spirit-inspired, but this is one of the things we just don't process in Western culture. We don't put enough emphasis on dreams and visions. We've been kind of taught not to do that. That's kind of, ooh, and we don't do that. Specifically, if you're sitting at work and a coworker comes up to you and says, I had a dream last night and I want to tell you what the interpretation is, you're going to be like, why am I sitting here? That's what I'm talking about. But here's what I, I, I know from Scripture is God wants to give us dreams. Older guys, God wants to give you dreams. Us younger guys, we see visions. Why? Because us younger guys... We don't have as much life under our belt, and so the younger guys are supposed to have visions of what could be in the excitement of the potential of stuff. Now, the way this balances together is the old guys bring wisdom to the table, and they temper the visions of the younger guys. They're both from the Holy Spirit, but they put some balance to it. The younger guys are supposed to bring the excitement of we can accomplish anything to the table and push the older guys, okay? I've seen where younger guys get completely out of control because, well, we could just do anything. Well, not necessarily. It may not be what God is exactly leading through that vision. Um, And then sometimes I've seen where the older guys put so much temper on it that they just become a wet blanket. Neither one of those are healthy. There's balance. But if we understand this is coming from the Holy Spirit, I believe that God wants to give us visions and he wants to give us dreams. He's saying that here. Okay? Visions where... I, the, the best, because I've talked to a lot of people about this over the years. I find this stuff fascinating. 
How do you perceive what was just written there? And Joel, I think the most common answer that I've had for visions is that it was like you started daydreaming. And and the same kind of thing is kind of your imagination, but you're daydreaming, but this is a, a profound God kind of moment with this, right? And that at, the closer you are to God, the more you understand what his voice sounds like, the more you'll recognize a vision or a dream as being from God. And here's what I would suggest is if that happens to you, talk to somebody very quickly. Write, maybe even write down what happened so, so the details are not left out. But talk to somebody like your spouse, a very close friend. Um, talk to them very quickly and say, hey, this is what happened. What do you think? Now, they're just giving input. They're not God. They're not the final word on this. But it's, it's very beneficial to have somebody speak to you about this kind of stuff. Specifically, you feel like it was God speaking to you. And expect it to happen way more than whatever your context is right now. Because I, I just think God is trying to do that. Here's another thing that I think is important here in Joel too. It says that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And then the last part, I will pour out my spirit on, even on servants or slaves and men and women alike. I still do not, I try to bring this up every now and then because I think it's important, but I just don't understand why there are major chunks of the world. And I I know the scriptures they use for this, but they've used them out of context and they're wrong. The idea that women cannot be in ministry, I, I just don't understand that. He's pouring out his spirit upon all people, sons and daughters. Holy Spirit is poured out on daughters just like sons, but the sons are the only ones that are allowed to talk about it. The daughters can't talk about it. Extend me only to other daughters and then only um, in closed rooms where no men can hear? I mean, this stuff is crazy. I will pour out my spirit even on servants. It doesn't matter where you are in the, in the um, cast of life. Men and women alike, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon. So why can't women speak about what the Holy Spirit has told them? I just, this is so foreign to me. Now, I did grow up in a very egalitarian. Some of you got to very well, not as much nowadays. They kind of regressed. But back in the day, women were pastors in the Assemblies of God all the time. I, I just don't understand it, but I still hear it. It still pops up every now and I still hear ministers talk about this. Women can't be in ministry. That's so arrogant. Holy Spirit will pour out on you, but not women? Oy, okay. I'm just going to say it. Oy vey. All right, so, <clears throat> so now let's look at, we're going to go to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to look at... Um, the, the, so the story is about uh, Peter and Cornelius' house and all that stuff, all right? I'm, I'm going to focus a little bit on the story, but I'm going to focus on, on how the Holy Spirit speaks to people during this chapter. Now, this is an important note because the point of this is very important for what we're looking at. Acts chapter 10, I believe, I, I don't find anybody to agree with me on this at like academic ranks, but I'm right. Acts chapter 10 is like the... The whole book runs up to Acts chapter 10 and then plateaus because of what Acts 10 and 11 are doing. And Acts chapter 11 runs out into the rest of the book. And the moment of Acts chapter 10 and 11, what happens there is the point of the book of Acts, separate from, well, in in coordination with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So so this is what it's about. Luke writes the book of Acts to Theophilus, same reason, same person he wrote the book of Luke to. He writes to Theophilus, who's a Greek uh, man, and he's telling him the story of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the believers. The first part of the book is predominantly Jewish people that are being used by God, being anointed, being empowered, all of this kind of stuff, okay? Then Acts chapter 10 is this story of Cornelius, and Peter, the sheet, Joppa, Cornelius, all this stuff, and then this this is told again. It's the only place in the book of Acts, something's repeated, um, and it's the only place in the New Testament where in a book by an individual writer, something is repeated, okay? So I think this is important, and he tells the story again to the Jewish leadership, and the point is this. God wants to save, empower the Holy Spirit, and use everybody in ministry, And the first part's about Jewish. Acts 10 and 11 switch the gears, and the rest of the book is predominantly about Gentiles. That's Luke's point, which is good because unless you're Jewish, you need that second half of the book of Acts because you need to know you can be saved. 
This is the big conversation from Acts 10 and 11 is, can a non-Jewish person be saved? Can they be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then the rest of the book is, can they actually minister? And that's what Luke is trying to teach us here, is you, not being Jewish, can be saved. You, not being Jewish, can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, not being Jewish, can be used in the power of the Holy Spirit just like anyone else. It doesn't matter about stature of life. doesn't matter about position, importance, finances, or anything else. It doesn't matter about gender. You can be saved, empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit, and used by the Holy Spirit. That's the point of the, the, the way the book is written. Now, the, the book of Acts is basically the empowerment of the believers to minister. It's, it's called oftentimes the title in your Bible is the Acts of the Apostles. That's, that's a dumb title for the book of Acts. It was not supposed to because it should never have been called that. And by the way, Jesus didn't give it that title. Okay, King James did. But <clears throat> this is not the one alive today. So, so here's the thing with this is it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Believer. Not the Acts of the Apostles, because by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, the Apostles aren't doing most of the ministry. Okay, now, with all that said, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit speaks, and also some of what He speaks, but how He speaks specifically. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 11. Soon the news reached the Apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the Word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem... The Jewish believers criticized him. Now, I just want to throw this out here because this one gets under my skin sometimes. The idea that the Catholic Church came up with that Peter was the first pope and that it's because of his uh, leadership and his authority and everything else and that he was the leader of the church and everything, Peter was not. Peter comes back after this happened. The Jewish believers criticized him. Who was he coming back to? The Jewish leadership of the church. And he presents the case to the Jewish leadership of the church, and some of these people made fun of him. So this whole idea of of the papacy and all that kind of stuff does not come from Scripture. It just never did, never has. In fact, later on, Peter does a really good job with this story, this part of time, but uh, quite a few years later, Peter... Starts, dealing, starts telling people they got to be circumcised again and all this other stuff, and Paul shuts him down and disciplines him. Paul does. Disciplines the Pope, God's voice on earth. Okay, so that was free. The rest of this costs a lot. Verse 3, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. You understand that was a big no-no, right? Can you imagine that today? That somebody calls you up, hey, you guys want to come over for New Year's? We're going to have some burgers and chips and dip. No, I can't really come to your house. Why? Because you're unclean. (laughs) Although I'm going to start using that now that I think about that. (laughs) Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. Now look at this. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, because that's huge, that's important. I'm going to talk about that next week. While I was praying, I went into a trance and I saw a vision. This is one of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And this one's straight out of Joel. So apparently Peter was still fairly young, like me. So he goes into a trance and he sees a vision. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him through a vision. Now, what does this trance look like? I don't know. I wasn't there. But it may have been like completely unresponding to the world if somebody walked up. Or it could have been more like a daydream kind of thing. We don't know. But we do know this. He had, the trance was so strong that he paid attention to that more than his surroundings. And he was paying attention to this vision more than what was going on around him. And by the way, this vision still affects us today. So this was pretty important that God did this, which is why I think he does, does this with a trance and a vision kind of thing. Is because See, I, I believe when God speaks to you through a dreams, trans, uh, dreams or vision, or he speaks to you audibly, you are, you are expected to repeat that to other people. Okay, not every time the Holy Spirit speaks to you are you supposed to repeat that to other people. Sometimes it's purely for you. But if he speaks to you audibly, which we're going to get to, I think he wants others to know. Right? 
Uh, when he speaks to you in a vision or a dream, I think he wants, most of the time, wants, not only all the time, audibly all the time, I think, but I think with a, a, a vision or a dream, I think most of the time you're supposed to tell other people about that. Okay? Not all the time. So, he says, I went into a trance and I saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. When I looked inside the, the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame, wild animals, reptiles, and birds. Now, the reason that Peter takes the time to pick out certain things within that sheep is because he's dealing with quite a few hundred, a, few, a couple thousand years worth of law here. You can't eat this stuff. You can't eat this stuff. And um, wild animals would be on that. Reptiles would definitely be in that category, those kind of things. So Peter mentions what he sees in the sheet, in the, inside the sheet, okay? And, he's, and then I heard a voice say, now this is audible voice from heaven. I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Now, this is huge for us today um, because we get to eat bacon. But this is not just about that, okay? Because what he's about to do is go to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile. So this is also talking about not just the dietary restrictions, but it's also talking about people, interactions. Now, remember, everything in the Old Testament, the law was built upon actions, not uh, attitude of the heart, per se, and not intent. It's just about actions. Don't eat this. Okay? Um, don't go to a Gentile's home. Those kind of, but now in the New Testament, the bar is raised. It's not done away with. Those laws are not done away with. But they are raised and they are made into the, to the completeness or the fulfillment of what they originally existed for. So now God is saying, don't call anything unclean that I'm calling clean because now you need to be able to connect and interact with different people. And also I think some of the dietary stuff was they'd come into a different place um, in, in societal development where cleanliness and things like that were an issue too. But we also see where this, this raising of the bar happens here, that, that God is concerned. He's always been concerned about people, but now he's concerned that, that because of the cross and there's grace and there's relationship, that everything now flows through the mentality of relationship in grace instead of the law and rules, Right? So he's telling, he's trying to get this across to Peter. Now, does that mean we can eat bacon? Yes. Okay, so. So then he says, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Now, here's what's going on with Peter, because Peter argues. Now, this is something very common for us. When the Holy Spirit tries to speak to us, most of the time we'll, we'll resist, we'll pause, we'll think about it differently, and then oftentimes we'll even argue with God, specifically if it's something that goes outside our scope. Not necessarily that we disagree with, although if we disagree with it, we will argue with it even more. We will come up with reasons why we do not listen, we don't pay attention, this is not real, whatever the case is. Peter's doing the same thing. But I do want to give Peter a little bit of a break here because I don't think that Peter was just trying to, specifically at first, I don't think he was just trying to argue with God. I think, it doesn't say this, but I think what Peter was doing is... He was trying, he thought this was maybe a test, and he was trying to pass the test. Okay, look at this. No, Lord, he, uh, uh, Peter says, no, Lord, I replied, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. And then I think he's like, what do you think about that, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, you're not getting it. This isn't a test. He, he, I think he thought that the Holy Spirit was going to say, well, then, good, Peter, you stayed strong and you passed the test. I think that's what Peter was thinking. But then there was also this, I can't do this because it goes outside my scope. I've never, I've never eaten that, whatever that one thing in there was he points out. I've never eaten lobster. I've never eaten that. And, and the Holy Spirit's going, but if you put a little garlic butter, you have no idea how good this is. <laughs> But he, Peter, I think Peter's trying to say, I can't, God. I, this, do, this goes so outside my scope and so outside my understanding. How could I do that? And so he just can't go there. He can't go there in his spirit. He can't. So, but the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times. He, he, 
I used to I used to think three times, Peter, you are so immature. You had to argue with God three times. And I think I don't think I've ever argued with God as little as three times. I'm up in the 50 to 60 range when I'm having a conversation with God. He argues with him three times. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived. And now chapter 10 tells us about this. Cornelius had a vision from God, and God told him but, but through an angel to send these guys to get Peter, okay? But this is Peter's telling of it from his perception. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them. Now, I don't think this one is audible. I think this is more of like a voice in your mind, your heart, a silent voice, and I'll unpack that a little bit more. But this is another way that the Holy Spirit is speaking to Peter here. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. Again, that's a huge thing. He cannot go into the house of a Gentile. He can be be punished for this by the Jewish church. You cannot go into the house of a Gentile. Why? Because they're unclean. (laughs) These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us, this is Cornelius, he told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and told him, Send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. So now you have this angel speaking to Cornelius, which now we're moving into the direction that Luke is trying to get across in the book of Acts, is the Holy Spirit wants to fill everybody. Jesus wants to save everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile. Okay, This is the big argument that's going down here. Um, Verse 14, Cornelius tells the, the messengers, he will tell you how you... And everyone in your household can be saved. A Gentile is saying that a Jewish person is going to tell him how to be saved? You couldn't be saved if you were a Gentile. Okay? I do think it's interesting that two of the strongest examples of faith that we have in the New Testament come from non-Jewish people. The um, soldier that Jesus said, this is the greatest faith I've ever seen, and Cornelius. Who, 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 he was the tip of the spear, the beginning person in the salvation of the Gentiles. And an angel visits him. His, his walk with the Lord was so much deeper than most of the Jewish people at that time. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. He's talking about Acts chapter 2. Right? The Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius just like all us Jewish people uh, in the upper room. And the Jewish leaders are going, what? I don't think that's possible. You're saying that the Holy Spirit is going to enter unclean people? But see, part of the uh, situation, this is the very last sentence we'll get to in a second, but that part of what uh, Peter is establishing, what Luke is establishing through this story with Peter, is that the only reason they could be filled with the Holy Spirit is because they had just got saved. And really, that's even bigger, although they're not seeing it this way, I don't think. That's even bigger than being filled with the Holy Spirit in the Jewish thinking. That you could be saved? That a common Gentile could be saved? Which, by the way, anybody in here Jewish? Raise your hand. No. Some people are like, I'm not telling you. It doesn't go well when you admit you're a Jew. So, let's take that out of the recording. <clears throat> so... <laughs> So here's how it works with this. Since none of you in here are Jewish, you desperately need for the Holy Spirit to invite you to know Jesus as an unclean person. I need that. I'm not Jewish. I, I need to be saved just like the Jewish people needed to be saved. That's the point of this. This is why Peter is saying this. And then it says, so the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And this is another way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, verse 16. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said. So so how's the Holy Spirit speaking to him here? He's bringing, now, this is the way I would say it. He's bringing the word of God to his remembrance. But Peter kind of has like this special little thing here where he's actually directly quoting Jesus. I think he's showing off a little bit, but... 
We don't get to directly quote Jesus except from what we get in the Word of God. I wasn't sitting there and listening and Jesus said it. But when Peter says this, he is quoting what we call the Word of God now and legitimately would have been called the Logos or the words from Jesus, which is the Word. He is the Word, the Logos. So he's quoting the Word. <clears throat> what we do is we quote the written Word, right? And he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift, that's empowerment, um, as when we believed in the Lord, which is starting point, which is salvation. You have to be saved. The only prerequisite for being filled with the Holy Spirit is being saved. Not being holy, not being uh, deeply knowledgeable or understanding. The only requirement you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is to be saved, to be a Christian. That's what Paul is saying. So um, he says, this came from Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. This is another way that the Lord speaks to us, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, is by seeing this, Mark 16, 15 says, preach the gospel and these signs will follow. That we see people being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the three things it mentions in Mark 16, they will um, lay, uh, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will cast out demons. That's a pretty good sign from the Holy Spirit, right? It's a pretty good way for him to speak to us. And then the third one is, is they will speak in other tongues. That's... 1 Corinthians specifically says that is a sign or the Holy Spirit speaking to the unbelievers. Not the believers, but the unbelievers. So, to break this down, the five things. The first way that the Holy Spirit speaks is through visions and dreams. Okay, And again, I think this has larger ramifications than just the individual that's receiving the message. I think most of the time that means it needs to be given out. Uh, the second way is that he speaks with an audible voice. Again, I think this, this needs to be, this needs to be um, uh, re-said. It needs to be told. It needs to be uh, spoken out there because it, because it has bigger ramifications than just that individual at that moment. And that's what we're seeing with this whole um, Joppa and, and the sheet and Cornelius and everything. You, you realize that moment changed the rules for the Jewish people forever. That particular moment. Now, there had been a lot of changes with Jesus' teaching and the, and the cross and all this other stuff, but they were still following the Jewish rules, although they had the cross. And th so, so the Holy Spirit is saying, look, you guys have not been paying attention. Let me, let me say it as explicitly, intentionally as I possibly can. Stop thinking you can't eat this food. Stop thinking you can't go to Gentiles' houses. Stop thinking this stuff. This is about everybody. Okay? The third thing, the voice inside, how he speaks to us inside. Now, this is interesting. I've talked to a lot of people. Again, I find this stuff very interesting, and so I ask people questions. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you know God is speaking to you? How do you? What does that feel like, sound like, look like in your life? In your, and I'm talking like voice inside, not audible, okay? Uh, audible, you just hear it, I guess. But Dreams and visions, I've talked to people about this, but this voice inside is the one that is the most interesting to me because it, I think it can be so diverse across so many of us. Is, and because I've heard people say, well, I, I hear his word in my heart. I hear it in my head. I, I've had people describe they can feel God speaking to them in their gut, in their stomach. Okay, I, I don't know what that means for me. I mean, for them, but I know what that would mean for me. I, I don't know... I just, I just really enjoy hearing people describe these things because I think God speaks to us differently. I've talked to people that, that um, <clears throat> give messages in tongues, interpretation, word of knowledge, those kind of things, and I'll say, okay, what does that look like to you? Um, I've had people say, well, it's like, a, uh, like a, a picture or I see something, I see a, a moment happening. Now, to me, I think that's probably in the category vision, Right? But some people will say, well, I, you know, I was praying the night before, like before I came to church, and God was just saying this stuff to me. And then all of a sudden in that moment in the service, I realized I'm supposed to be speaking that to everybody. It wasn't just for me. 
I mean, so it was something they had been praying about the night before. Some people say, well, I get a, a word or two, and then I start to, I step out in obedience through the fear. I step out in obedience, and I start speaking that, and the rest comes to me as I'm saying it. I mean, I've heard this in so many different ways. How do you know God's speaking to you? We, I think, again, oftentimes we count it up to intuition or I just feel that way uh, kind of thing, rather than saying, maybe God is speaking to me. Maybe he is. This would be my suggestion. At least just pause a little bit and say, Lord, is this you speaking? I do that regularly. Just, God, is this you speaking? Because I don't know for sure sometimes. I don't know. What is God saying? I don't know. Is he saying this? I don't know. So just stop, stop everything else in your mind, whatever's going on, and you can just talk to God. God, are you speaking to me right now? And I think he'll show you fairly quickly. If this is him that is speaking, or it's just a thoughts you're having. Lord, are you speaking? Let me give you a little bit of a kind of a, a litmus test to this. I think if you think to yourself, this could be God, most of the time it is. Satan's not putting that thought in your head. You think Satan's telling you to serve God better, to pray for somebody, to witness? You think Satan's doing that? And he's like, oh, wait, oh, I didn't mean that. Most of the time, if you think there's a possibility it's God, it probably is. So, so pause and process it. Think. Think. God, what are you saying to me? How are you saying this? What, what, is, what is going on here? This is why, this is why when, when it started, Peter was in Joppa praying. This is why this is important. Because he was already trying to hear God and listen to God. And then God unloads on him in a very big way, way outside his normal uh, uh, comfort zone. But, and and so, so I think we should be doing this. I try to do this regularly. It's just be praying. I try to pray throughout my whole day that this isn't just, you know, this is interesting to me also, this, this how prayer kind of changes throughout Scripture and then majorly changes after Scripture is finished. Old Testament prayer was more conversation with God. New Testament prayer, conversation with God under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, 500 years later wrote prayers written by people and prayed with beads and everything else. What did, what did we do to get to that point? We stopped having a conversation and we started making prayer a formal thing. <clears throat> God didn't want it to be a formal thing. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to him. Pray, seek his face. He will talk back to you. But you've got to constantly doing this. But see, here's where we resist. Same thing that Peter did. is We, we get so comfortable at resisting the Holy Spirit speaking to us. If, if, if he's calling us to do something, we resist it. Maybe because we don't think we can or maybe we just don't want to. Sometimes it's a rebellion. I'm just not going to do that. I've, I've been there. I know what that feels like. I also know what it feels like to, to, to feel inadequate within, the, within what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you. Sometimes it's just fear you know, you're, you're doing something you really feel strongly. The Holy Spirit is telling you to go talk to these people, to witness to this person. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. But what you do, if you're obedient, doesn't mean it's easy. I can give you plenty of examples of both. Examples when I've been obedient, examples when I haven't. And I knew I wasn't obedient, and I still wasn't obedient. For whatever reason. Guys, this is where we've got to learn to listen. First say, Holy Spirit, I know you want to speak to me. And then listen, and here's the thing. Do what he tells you. As he's not just speaking to you because you're spiritual. He's speaking to you because he wants you to do something. He wants you to act on it. He's guiding, he's leading, he's encouraging you something. Guys, act on it. You will be miserable if you don't. And here's what will happen. I, I have to be careful saying this because I think we see this as a... If I hang on long enough, it's an out. Eventually, the Holy Spirit will stop telling you certain things because he can't trust you to do something with it. I don't want to be that person. I don't think any one of us in this building want to be that person. Some of you are like, I do. I wish the Holy Spirit would stop telling me stuff. Okay. <clears throat> That's wrong. Okay, so <laughs> here, here's where you got to go to is if you resist the Holy Spirit, resist, eventually I'll say, okay, I'll find somebody else. 
Please don't be that person. That, that, that scares me in my spirit. That hurts me in my spirit when I say that. Because I've done that at different times. And my, my prayer nowadays is, Lord, please use me. It's, the, the, as the psalmist says, do not pass me by. Please use me. I can't imagine the Lord looking over to the bench, needing to send somebody in the game, and he sees me sitting on the bench, and he's like, ah, I can't trust him. Ugh. Fourth thing, Holy Spirit speaks to us in Scripture, speaks to us by remembering Scripture. Scripture tells us, the Word of God, if I hid my heart, that I won't sin against you, God. Why? Because when you're tempted, God brings Scripture up. The same thing that Jesus did with with, uh, Satan in the 40 days of fasting. When Satan attacked him, the Holy Spirit brought Scripture up. Now, this is kind of where it gets a little tricky with Jesus, because he also is the Word, so maybe he didn't have to be reminded of himself, but... The Holy Spirit brings God's word to us, and then it becomes a sword that cuts through the stuff, and Satan's temptation no longer has power over us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to us, encourages us, empowers in us, emboldens us through the word of God. That's why we have to get it into our spirit, not just cognitively read it, but get scriptures and memorize them. Memorize them. For years and years and years, I used to keep note cards, a little, the little white note cards with lines on them. I don't even know if people use those anymore, but... The little white note, I would keep uh, about 15 of them in my pocket, and they were scriptures, and I memorized scriptures that way. And I would, when, you know, when you're just sitting around, this was like early pre-cell phone and early cell phone, and I would just pull these cards out and just read those scriptures. And eventually, I, I, I memorized them. And to this day, those scriptures are, are a sword in my life. They're not just something I read in an old religious book. They're a living, active thing growing and moving in my life, and they never go away, <clears throat> and they are a sword that will cut through. And it's an amazing how quickly something will come to your mind at the right moment. That's the Holy Spirit. That's him helping you through the process. Okay, so the fifth one, visible sign of the Holy Spirit's power, that God does back up his word, and he does back up what he is telling us, um, oftentimes by showing us something, that we can see it that we see God's power, that we see his presence, that we can see something that just looks different um, to us and understanding that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, right? And that is where it is a material moment in life, a physical um, event kind of thing. And we see this and we recognize this. That's also how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, specifically if it's supernatural, right? If you see somebody supernaturally healed, um, it's you should... See that as a sign from the Holy Spirit. You should see that as the Holy Spirit speaking to you, not just healing them. Right? He's speaking to you too. Okay? So, my desire with this, God, I know you want to speak to me. Because we have to start there. If you don't start there, you're relegating yourself into a category that doesn't include a lot of the stuff that, that Scripture is showing us. And, and like the whole book of Acts. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to me. you got to start there. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to me. And then you move on to how does he do it? And I didn't get them all. That was just the ones in that chapter. How does the Holy Spirit speak to me? Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> so <clears throat> I want to do two things with this. The first is what I was, I've been saying the whole time. For you to get to a point, if you're not to this point, we've got to start there. Holy Spirit, I know you want to speak to me. I would even go so far as to say, I know the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me right now. It's, that's, I would say that's a given. You say, well, maybe he wants to speak to me, but not right now. Why? Why not right now? Because it's Sunday Lord doesn't speak to us on Sunday because we're in church. He doesn't speak to us in church because um, it's the first day of the new year. He doesn't speak to us then. I mean, what, what reason would we have? Holy Spirit would not want to speak to us right now today. Okay, and then the second part of this is, Lord, open my mind, my heart, my spirit so that I can see and recognize and I can, I can, I can understand that this is you speaking to me. Help me to see those moments better. He's doing it all the time, I believe. You just got to see it. You gotta hear it. You gotta understand it. You gotta embrace it. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. That you are 
I believe, desperately trying to speak to us. God, that you're doing everything you can to get in our mind, our spirit, our lives. You're trying to to talk, to encourage, to call. And Lord, we just resist. So Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room, that we will acknowledge right now that you want to speak to us. And then God, we will stop resisting. That whatever you want to tell us, that's what we want to hear. Even if we don't think we do, Lord, that's truly what we want to hear, need to hear, should hear, is what you're telling us. God, I ask you to help every one of us here to develop, to learn to develop this in our, in our walk with you, that we can hear you. Throughout the day, we listen to you, we hear your voice. While we're working, while we're hanging out with people, good people, bad people, Lord, that you're speaking, that you're guiding us you are trusting us to hear you, to obey you, and to to touch somebody else's life with the power of who you are. Lord, you're trusting us with divine language from you. God, thank you for this, that you're trusting us to listen and being led through our life. God, thank you for this. I don't want to do this life my way by myself or according to my rules. I want to do it according to what you desire, Lord. And God, I pray this strongly over every one of us in this building. This is not our life. Lord, help us to listen to the one who made us. God, help us listen to the power of the universe. Help us to listen to supernaturalness that that is part of our existence us to listen to the most important voice ever. In the name of Jesus. And in God, we're going to obey. God, we're going to obey. I pray against any reason in this room right now why someone has convinced themselves not to obey you. Lord, I pray against fear or insecurity. I pray against um, rebellion. God, whatever reason we come up with, God, cast it down, destroy it. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Lord, help us to care only about what you think. Not about what everybody else thinks. God, destroy insecurities by helping us just to focus on what you think. That I focus on what you think. In my marriage, I focus on what you think. In my family, I focus on what you think. In my life, I focus on what you think. And when you speak, I'll do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to encourage you. This is the first week of the year, right? Maybe spend some time fasting, praying and fasting this week. I'm going to be doing that some this week. And this is my prayer for me. I just need the Lord to clean out my mind, my spirit, um, refresh, restart. I don't know. I don't really have a plan. Except, God, I want more of you, less of me. That's what fasting and praying does. Maybe consider spending a few days this week um, really getting in and fasting. And not, not just like, although this is okay, but not just I'm not going to have coffee in the morning. I mean, that can just be dangerous for everybody. But, but to really say, God, I'm going to go a couple days of lunch that I'm not going to eat lunch and I'm just going to talk to you. Let God change you. Let God do some things. Let God clean out your spirit. Let him speak to you. Fasting is the best way for God to speak to you. 
Let him do that and, and uh, start the year off right. And then even process. I'm going to talk about this in four weeks. But even process then, maybe fasting consistently throughout the year, like one day a week or something like that throughout the year. Okay? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Tell somebody about Jesus. And God will honor that in your life. It's a, it's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them Happy New Year. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night.